As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Hello? Hello? <clears throat> Podcast Network Asia. Network Asia. Have a really, really, really good mentor. Don't hesitate to ask people for help. Meditate, I think, would be super, super key for being able to not get in over your head, especially when it comes to stressful moments. And have a really, really good co-founder who can put up with your bullshit. <laughs> And you got to put up with theirs too. So, so that's, I think, what I would say. And good evening, good morning, and good afternoon to wherever you are around the world. My name is RJ Ladesma, and welcome to the RJ Ladesma podcast. Here in the Philippines, I'd like to welcome everybody to our second round of MECQ. It's a lovely but muggy Tuesday evening. Thank you so much for taking a time out to listen to us uh, this evening. I've got another great speaker lined up for us here tonight. But before everything else, for those tuning in or listening here to the first time here on the RJ Ladesma podcast, I interview the country's pioneering business personalities and entrepreneurs and learn more about how they think about business, what are their success secrets, how they've innovated their businesses during the pandemic, and more importantly, what opportunities do they see emerging in this new normal? Now, is there a business personality or entrepreneur that you would like me to interview here on the podcast? Please let me know. Drop me a message. We're also live right now on Kumu CBRC TV. Global Pinas TV, and now Bounce Back Network as well. And again, I'd like to thank our good friends on Spotify. Uh, as, as per this afternoon, I got word from our good friends from Podcast Network Asia that the RJ Ledesma podcast is top 38 among the 200 top uh, Spotify podcasts here in the Philippines. So again, thank you to everybody for listening in and, and enjoying our podcast. If you know more people who you think would benefit from listening to our podcast, please ask them to listen, and to subscribe. And with that, moving on quickly to our speaker here this evening. Uh, our next guest tonight is very interesting. Uh, he's a, a balik bayan coming back home to do business over here. I often call people like him, people who have the reverse uh, Western dream, since he's from Canada. It's not the reverse American dream, but rather the reverse Western dream. Uh, he's come back home over here to answer a business which has a very big pain point in our country and in many developing countries. Our next guest tonight is Don Pansacola. He is the CEO and co-founder of Nextpay.ph, which is a fast, simple, and affordable digital banking suite for small businesses here in the Philippines. 
and he's going to explain a bit more about that later on. He has a background in software engineering, blockchain, distributed technologies, and digital product design, and a passion for building superior products and business model innovation. Now, he took the opportunity to take the best practices which he learned from abroad and brought it back here to the Philippines. This enabled him to create a world-class fintech product that can positively positively impact the lives of many Filipinos. So without further ado, please welcome our guest, Don Pansacola. Don, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me here, RJ. Glad to Don, be here. Really, really great having you. And this is the interesting thing for people who don't know, no, that this is actually my third online interaction together with Don. Uh, we both belong to the, the startup community. But uh, on both times, I was the moderator and the MC for the two times I encountered him when he was pitching, um, when he was pitching NextPay. And that's how I came across NextPay. And I believe the first time was uh, in Ignite, right? Yeah, I believe so. Uh, just sometime late last year. Yeah. And in Ignite, you actually won best fintech uh, out of that round. From yeah, we did. Participants. That's right. And aside yeah. from that, yeah, you also you were also one of the finalists, top three finalists for Shell Livewire as well. That's correct. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All these opportunities to speak to you, but only now are we actually having this like one-to-one dialogue. So glad we're finally having this. And, and I'm very intrigued because you know I remember when I was watching one of the video pitches that you guys were doing, and you I came across one of the companies you had over there. They were owned by a very good friend of mine, also somebody similar like me who's got. Uh, their foot in the door in the weddings and events industry, and also another foot in the door in the startup industry, and that's uh, that's Audrey, uh, Audrey of uh, Audrey of uh, of Bizu. So I understand that they currently subscribe to your services. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. So no, she is a serial entrepreneur. She has a lot of businesses, and I think you know she she's just really always full of ideas and wanting to do interesting things. And I think uh, most, if not all, of her businesses are using. Uh, next day. So really interesting. And, you know, the startup community is still quite small in the Philippines. So in many ways, we kind of all know each other. It's growing a lot, though. So, uh, yeah. So I think definitely it's inevitable that we would work with the same people. Yeah, great. And I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to at least uh, finding a way to collaborate as well with the Mercato ecosystem, uh, working together with Nextpay. But the big news here right now, the big news, and why I wanted to bring you here to the show is that you guys actually have people who just invested big time in your business. Why Combinator? Uh, tell us a bit more. I mean, for the people experiencing for the first time, you know, or hearing about why Combinator and what it does, what exactly is it? And why is it a big thing for them to have invested into NextPay? First, I want to say that it's been such an honor to be selected as one of the few startups, especially in this side of the world, especially in the Philippines, uh, to be selected for Y Combinator. So Y Combinator, uh, for people who don't know, is an accelerator program. And an accelerator program specifically is a program that helps startups, even if, you know, with just ideas to help them launch it, whether it be by giving them seed funding, as well as putting them through boot camps or workshops and many equipping them with a lot of tools that they need to succeed early on. But Y Combinator specifically is, you could say, arguably the most prestigious startup accelerator in the world where you've had big companies like Dropbox, Airbnb, Stripe, and so on just graduate from there as well. So we're following the footsteps of, uh, of giants and hopefully we become one as well. And I understand that there are also other Filipinos who who have who got their money through Y Combinator. Who are those? I mean, I, I know they're good friends of ours, but maybe I, I'll give you a chance to mention uh, who they are. Yeah. 
So, so actually, prior to this batch, uh, there were only two other startups that from the Philippines that made it into Y Combinator. The first one being Caliber. Uh, and the second one in 2019 were our good friends, PayMongo. And so up until then, it's been only two for like many years. But this year, I think, you know, it's kind of, there were three startups that were selected, you know, so we're just one of three. The other two being Dash Labs and the other one being Avion School, which is, uh, I think it's a really good testament to like the state of the startup community uh, in the Philippines, where I think there are three now. I think, uh, you know, we already know of some startups for this coming batch who made it to this coming Y Combinator, but I can't say their names yet because there's usually a process. But uh, it's promising that there are a lot more startups who are starting to get accepted into the Y Combinator program, which makes me really optimistic about the whole startup community here and how it's maturing. Now, how much are they actually uh, giving to you guys? Uh, and how does it work? Do they just give you on? I mean, how I would think of it is, is it progress billing? Do they give it to you just in one fell swoop? How does it work when they when they invest in you guys? So the moment you get into Y Combinator, which actually let me talk about the process. It typically involves um, you submitting an application online, and you know it's a bit different now because of COVID and the lockdowns. And typically they would fly you over to San Francisco and to do the interviews in person. But because of the situation, it was done all online, and Really, it's just a matter of doing that interview, submitting a one-minute pitch video, and then you're in. Uh, sometimes they do ask you for an extra interview, which happened to us, but it's really that, I wouldn't say simple, but the way they do it is it's really based on the founders. They don't look at any business plans. They don't look at any anything that you would traditionally expect. So you didn't have to submit financials or... or, or None at all. None at all. And I think, you know, it's very interesting because they have a different perspective when it comes to seed funding. When it comes to seed funding, they know that the company they're investing in probably didn't attain product market fit yet, probably only has an idea, probably, you know, the idea that they applied for, applied with rather, isn't the actual idea that they'll be working on. So they really put a lot of faith in the founders and their ability to execute. And they also understand that most seed funding stage startups fail but they're willing to invest in that because that's the only way startups can succeed. Vis-a-vis -vis the traditional investment, especially in the seed stage, they already look at the financials, they expect a data room, they want to see like all the details. You know, it, it's, it's a very different mindset. And I think in many ways, that's kind of the key to why they really succeeded because it's betting on the founders and not so much about the business as it is because they understand that the business can be very different later on from the initial concept. Okay, so having said that, what do you think the, that they saw in you? Or did, did you have a post-mortem and you were able to ask them, so why did you get me? Or why me across all these different um, uh, startups which went, to, which went and applied this year for Y Combinator? Uh, when you sign up for Y Combinator through the application process, they do ask a bunch of questions. So while they don't look for financials, they don't look for a data room, they do ask you a lot about who you are, what you're doing, the problem you're solving, and the idea that you're working towards. And I think a key part of what they're looking for would be the founders, their history, their ability to execute, as well as the um, the potential for scale for the for the company. And that's why they really focus more on tech companies, because tech companies are a lot more scalable than, say, a physical establishment. And so I think those are the criteria for their selection process. And of course, the interview is a very important thing because it kind of gives a lot about, because it's on the spot. It's only 10 minutes long also. It's super intense. And uh, by the end of it, they usually already have their decision. And sorry, to answer your question earlier, uh, after going through that whole process, 
once you're accepted, that's $125,000 right off the bat. It was more in previous batches. I know the PayMongo batch, they got it at $150,000. So, but it's very interesting where, yeah, no questions asked. I mean, after all the questions that they already asked, <laughs> they just yeah. give you 125000 straight up, right? So very, very uh, interesting. So basically, it's, not, it's just not sitting in your bank account. Do they ask you where do you use the money or that's really your call on how the money is used? It's your call. They trust that you will do the right thing with the money that you raise from them. And how, how much equity do they gain from you, from you after putting that, that initial uh, seed money? So the equity they gain, so this is what many people who have issues with Y Combinator and many of these startup accelerators have. They, they get 7% of, uh, of the company, right? So that puts your valuation, if they put in, in $125,000, it's a little less than $2 million. So it's an expensive mm-hmm. amount, but uh, I would say that having gone through the whole program and seeing the doors that it opened up for us, it's absolutely worth it. I guess this is something that we haven't formally announced yet, but we actually just closed a round. We raised a round in terms that were just beyond what we would have normally been able to achieve, especially in this side of the world, uh, had it not been for Y Combinator. So yeah, it's been super helpful in that sense. As a result of securing Y Combinator funding, Another investor said, hey, you must be a, you, you must be a company worth investing in. Uh, let's take a look at your pitch. And then you pitch to them. Is that, that, was that how the process went for you? Because that, that's incredible. I mean, after one funding, you got another round of funding. I can speak a bit to that. So it's a three-month accelerator program. And the first two months are really uh, about building your company, uh, growing your customer base, finding product market fit. It's, it's really intense. And it was super intense because... They're still doing a lot of things in the, the PST time zone, Pacific time zone. And so a lot of our meetings, a lot of the workshops were done at, say, 1 a.m. this time, right? We began Y Combinator in January of this year, and it lasted up until end of March. So it's a three-month program, and the first two months is really focused on product scale, uh, growth, customer acquisition. And then the last month, they focus on fundraising, helping you fundraise. So this is where the interesting thing is. So in many ways, uh, the moment you get into Y Combinator, you become very attractive to a lot of investors. You know, suddenly a lot of people whom we were speaking to before, but weren't interested, you know, came knocking in the doors again. Uh, Although some of them we really, really like, so we were super happy about that. But ultimately, you're going to get a lot of solicitations from investors. They do speak amongst themselves about, you know, uh, startups who made it to Y Combinator, and they reach out to all these startups, hoping that they can already get in on the next round, the seed round, you know, uh, before everyone else gets to. Because at the end of the accelerator program, there's what you call demo day. Um, now, demo day is where each startup in the program gets to present um, who they are, uh, what they do, and the amount of progress they've made in the three months. And it's a very short demo. It's literally like a minute long of startups just talking about, like they have one slide and just a minute pitch and that's it. But there exists a mechanism that allows startups and investors to get connected very easily, right? Mm -hmm. So depending on the amount of interest and how good your startup did, investors just reach out by email. And from there, you're booking meetings left, right, and just talking to them and raising money. And it's just incredible how many investors we managed to speak to and who were interested. Like we didn't even get to speak to all the investors because you know it's in a different time zone and it's just not feasible to do so. But I'm saying that th- I'm saying this because this is something that absolutely would not have been possible 
if it were not for us getting to Y Combinator. So I would say despite them taking that equity, it's offset with a lot of these other benefits. And having said that, I just wonder, uh, when you do get bringing investors to the company, I mean, sometimes I remember Audrey would describe it like some days if you have uh, your own startup, it's like every day you're wondering where the runway is going to be coming from, where you're going to be getting the money to pay for the salary of the person in the next week. Because that's really how it's like to be a startup. It's like when you're able to secure investors, it's like a weight has been lifted from your shoulders, but at the same time, a bigger weight has been placed uh, on your shoulders. So how exactly does it feel right now that you, you, know, you, you do have that money, but then you do have that money? That is super accurate. So, you know, leading up to Y Combinator, uh, before we even learned that we were part of Y Combinator, uh, my co-founder and I were essentially paying for everything out of our own pockets, our savings. Uh, we've been super frugal and that's how we got to make it work. But still, you know, there's a lot of stress because like, shit, like how are we going to sustain this, right? And so we were actually in the middle of raising money until we found out that we made it to Y Combinator. So we put a pause in that and, you know, that. $125,000 definitely helped us. It definitely lifted a weight off our shoulders. But then there came about a new type of pressure, which is okay. Now, you know, demo day, which is, you know, happening in March. So three months from now, this is back in January. We need to show numbers. We need to show traction. We need to do a really good job. And so that period was probably one of the most stressful points, if not the most stressful point of my life, right? Wow. Uh, Especially given that a lot of the things we had to do were done in like off hours, especially because we had to speak with a lot of the mentors, a lot of the investors at 1 a.m. onwards, since that's more or less where the time zone was at. And so it was super difficult. But I think, you know, now that we raised the money that we did, which again, we haven't announced this new round yet, another huge weight was lifted off of our shoulders. But now, as you said, there's another weight on our shoulders, which is okay. Now we have no excuse if we don't succeed, right? If we don't succeed, it's definitely our own undoing. Uh, it's definitely because of our own mistakes, our own, like it's not because we ran out of money. It's because, I mean, that still definitely is a big reason why startups fail, but you know, we have a bit of a battle chest now. So now, it, it, it's, now it's possible to move forward, but uh, just, a, just a question. I, and I guess at the start, no, you know, everything at the, at the start is like, okay, I'll put together financials. I mean, it's, it's easy. You take out your spreadsheets, you create financials for the business, you, you get these much customers. And all of a sudden, the real money comes in and you're going, oh no, now I have to really, now I have to make these financials work. Where, where do you think you'll be placing that, 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 the, the investment right now? I mean, you've, you've see it, you see it all right in front of you right now. Where do you think it's going to go? Is it going to be in development? Is it going to be in hiring people? What, what do you think it's going to be used for right now? Actually, let me kind of uh, communicate something first. The vast majority of startups who graduate from Y Combinator, ourselves included, have not attained product market fit, at least in the definition that uh, the real de definition of product market fit. We have customers, we're making money, we have traction, and we have a product that many people really like. But the true definition of product market fit would be defined as, according to uh, some people, where the amount of customers who are demanding your service far exceeds your ability to, to deliver. Now, right now, we're having a lot of difficulty delivering because it's very, like, we have a small team still, right? And there are lots of people, but it hasn't gone to the point where there are, like, crazy fires burning yet. And I think once we get there, that you would be what the definite project... Uh, definition of product market fit is, at least in the, in the traditional sense. But I would say that right now, the money that we've raised 
and all the investors who've invested typically also know this, is really meant to attain product market fit and show a path to profitability. Because once you have that, that technically, I mean, it's a lot better if you're completely profitable already, which definitely is the case and definitely possible for a lot of businesses. As soon as you have that, uh, which the seed round is supposed to be put towards, this allows you to essentially raise additional funding, which will allow you to scale what you already have and proven to work much more, right? So for us, our goal definitely is to be profitable uh, with the money that we make. But at the very least, we definitely want to show the path to profitability. Wow. So basically, you want to be able to get more fires burning uh, for the product <laughs> to make sure. I mean, that's, that's how, that's how yes. I see it. It's, it's a wonderful analogy. It's like, it's like say, it's not enough firemen and fire trucks to put out the fire. And that's how it has to feel for you if the product really fits the market. I love that perspective that I'm seeing from you right now. There's another analogy too, where when you're trying to find product market fit, it's as if you're pushing a boulder up a hill or a mountain. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And the moment you find product market fit, that you've essentially just crossed that threshold of the peak and the boulder starts to roll by itself. And now the hard part is no longer pushing it, but catching up to it. Right. So that's where now the boulder is moving faster than you are. So that's essentially what the definition of product market fit would be to, to, you know, at least in the standard of what we believe is product market fit. Hello, this is Agnes Ravasho, CEO at MDI Novaria Technologies. Come listen to My Digital Impact, where I talk about customer experience obsession with fellow business leaders, about relatable moments on customer excellence, and teachable experiences on customer service. My Digital Impact is available wherever you listen to That's your podcast. That's great, at least for all the startups by putting Podcast Network right now, Asia. They get a, a better appreciation of how they should product market fit. And, and having said that, when you said you went to three intense months of actually learning with, with your mentors online uh, late at night, maybe you can share some of the highlights of what you gained across those things, because I'm sure they'll also be very helpful uh, to many people. What what has resonated with you really from those from those lectures that you say, ah, you know, if I knew this at the start, uh, I could have grow fa- grown faster, or at least, you know, now these, these are going to be my nuggets of wisdom, which I'm going to be using to, to grow this business. So I think the biggest value is that you're learning from a lot of people who themselves started startups or founders mm-hmm. of their own startups in the past. Uh, there are many people who enter the space of um, investing, but they themselves have probably never launched a startup. Maybe they came from a banking background. Maybe they came mm-hmm. from a different background other than running your own company. And so the advice you get from these people may make sense if you are a larger company with a full-blown organization and structure and a revenue model that already makes sense. But if you are a startup, an early stage startup, none of that applies. And so one of the highlights was that they would bring in, I mean, besides the YC, the Y Combinator uh, mentors and partners being ex-founders themselves, they also brought in a lot of guest speakers from mm-hmm. big companies now, but they used to be, you know, startups themselves, like the founders of y- of uh, Airbnb, definitely a really good talk. Founders of companies like Stripe, uh, like mm-hmm. Brex and so on. Like these are startups who weren't, these are big companies now who were startups not so long ago. So they had, they have a lot of insights to give. And in many ways you can really relate to them because they tell a lot of stories of their early days and you go, wait, that's us right now. 
you know, we're experiencing this right now. I'm glad to know that, you know, we're not alone in this path. This is something that they encountered and yet they were able to overcome. So hopefully we can as well. And what, what, in, what is the insight that you gain from listening to people from Stripe and, and from Airbnb? Did you pick up something, something from them that, that you think would be great to share with people here right now? Or, or uh, is there something that you will say, okay, I'm going to do what they did? Or was there a common denominator across all of them that you saw? I would say a lot of the things that they did teach are things that you could find online if you seek them. So standard things like do things that don't scale, right? When you want to test out an idea, don't build out the technology perfectly. Do things really manually, scrappily, just so that you could see if people are willing to pay for it. And this could take a lot of energy, a lot of time and effort, but at least you're saving yourself from uh, spending a lot of money if it ends up not working out. So concepts like that you know, that you'd find online would be already would be something that would be valuable. But the fact that first, it's real time and it's people actually conveying their real experiences kind of add a bit more of uh, an impactful effect on, you know, you remembering it and taking it to heart. And also there were Q&A sections after that where you got to actually ask these founders questions that are maybe specific to your company, right? And so you get a feedback loop that's something you can't quite get reading a blog article or a YouTube video online. Um, and so I wouldn't say there was a specific learning that's unique to that. It's just a whole experience of learning through their programs that I would say is the really valuable thing. What do you think they are looking for? I mean, I know they might not be looking at it being Filipino companies, right? But then more or less, I mean, if you know you were here in the Philippines and you wanted to apply, what do you think they would be looking for that, that make you might make you stand out across global competition in Y Combinator? Well, first, I'd like to say that the Philippines and this side of the world, you could say, has benefits and cons when it comes to applying for Y Combinator. First, uh, we are, you could say, an exotic market. Many people around the world are now looking outside of the United States and to different places for the next big opportunity. And I think the Philippines is, I personally believe that the Philippines is in the cusp of a huge uh, spike when it comes to innovation, when it comes to growth. Uh, In fact, you could say the same thing about Indonesia maybe five years ago, right? Before Grab and Gojek really took off, like where Indonesia was five years ago, I think that's where we are right now. And so there's a lot of optimism there. But I think a thing to also consider is that the problems that are unique to the Philippines are not something that they truly understand. So one of the challenges that we had when we were pitching was explaining the fact that in the Philippines, a simple thing of batch paying your employees cannot be done unless you got a special type of bank account, a corporate period account. And you could only also do so to employees if they have a bank account in the same bank. Like that's something that, is not really comprehensible to a lot of people in the United States, right? Or in more developed countries. So having to explain that context before we gave the reason or before we explained what we were doing was kind of like the challenge there. But ultimately provide the context that's unique to the Philippines, explain why you're solving this problem, uh, show that you are the right people to do so and show that there's a potential for a massive scale uh, if this were to succeed. That would be, I guess, my suggestion. Massive scale just for the Philippines or massive scale that can be also scaled to other countries with similar developing country issues? And that's that's how I would think. Is, is that something that, that they're looking at? I would say it depends because absolutely, if you were to focus on a regional play in the future, then you would definitely have a you know much more scalable business in the future. But if you were to focus on a market that's only in the Philippines, but it's a huge market because after all, we have a, what 110 million people in the country. Uh, that if you were to somehow come up with a business 
uh, model that was able to potentially capture a huge portion of the Philippines market. That's that's good enough. So it really depends on what you're on what you're doing. Got that. Now let's take a look. Uh, I want to take a step back right now. We've really gotten into the into how you guys got in, and I'm sure many many startups listening to us here right now. We're very inspired by the story. But I want to take a step back and and look at your background as well. Uh, Don and and how it came about to you coming up with NextPay because from what I understand, like I said, you we we talked offline earlier on, and you actually went to high school here in the Philippines, uh, but your your family uh, migrated to to Canada, and you you came home over here. So that uh, to, to 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 do this one, you might be you might be people like uh, Roland Ross, you know, who, who did the same thing, or or or, or of, of Kumo and, and Paul Rivera of Caliber, who did come home and say, you know what. The, the, the pasture is actually greener over here in the Philippines. Tell us about that journey. Why, why did you Why did you come home? Many people sometimes they can't fathom why they should come back to the Philippines because you made you made it there already. But what what brought you home? So I was born here in the Philippines, as you said. I graduated high school here even, and then my family had already moved ahead of Canada. I just finished my high school here, then I followed them, and uh, that's where I you could say grew my my career, where I did a lot of entrepreneurial things as well as worked for startups. And the most recent startup I worked for at the time was OpenDNS, an internet cloud and security company. And uh, they eventually got acquired by Cisco. So you could say it was a good job. I was paid very well. And uh, I was living comfortably. But in 2016, I was fortunate to have taken time off to to go back to the Philippines and travel to the Philippines and you know different countries in Southeast Asia. And then I realized how there's a lot of really like real problems over here uh, in this side of the world, not just the Philippines, but really in in you know uh, this region, right? And you know, looking back and at the work I was doing, it seemed to me that I was you know solving first world problems. I mean, internet security is is really you know it's necessary, but you know, compared to places where there's problems with education, health, finance, you know, uh, the water system is, is, you know, not good or like all these real problems that I encountered made me go, okay, you know what? I think, you know, having accumulated all these skills of learning how, you know, I learned how to build like really good products. Um, I spoke to my co-founder, Aldrich, who was also, I met in Vancouver and he was in Seattle at the time. We were like, let's, let's do something worthwhile and more meaningful and impactful with our with our skills, especially knowing that there's a lot of um, potential in the Philippines, both from a cultural standpoint. Like I think the culture of the Philippines is really um, an awesome thing, and we really love it. And in fact, like you know, we, while we were in Canada, we still really embrace a lot of our Filipino uh, values, like being very respectful of family, of elders, all those things that you would not really. I, I, I digress. So the point being that we wanted yeah. to go back to the Philippines and do something. Uh, more meaningful and impactful. And and so in 2017, we both decided to fly back to the Philippines to to do just that. You you came back here to the Philippines with just, you know, I want to help, but you, you weren't sure how. Is that right? Did you have like a, a book of ideas or, or a notebook or whatever in your laptop, several things that you could might, what problems you might want to solve? How, how did that work out? How did you, what did you guys do? Even before uh, moving to the Philippines, I already thought, or I really wanted to do something with finance because in Canada, I was actually fortunate to have experienced. Like I moved it to can, I moved to Canada early enough to experience their transition from cash to cashless. When I when I first moved to Canada, a lot of things were still being paid for by cash. And then eventually it was replaced by debit cards, and then eventually got replaced by debit cards you could just tap into machines, and that was that. And so 
I saw the same potential in the Philippines where we are predominantly cash-based. So that's always been in my mind. But when I moved to the Philippines, I didn't immediately like tackle uh, finance because you know it's a huge it's a huge beast and like where do you start right so what we ended up doing my co-founder and I we started looking into other smaller problems or things that we could kind of handle so one of the things we launched was a, a flower company for men so that was an interesting thing that was uh, that lasted for a while uh, just to kind of get our bearings here in the Philippines to kind of understand what it takes to launch a business and we also discovered that you know launching a business even like incorporating to setting up your bank account was uh, was not as straightforward. Oh, wow. But that, that wasn't the turning point yet, right? So eventually we ended up trying to figure out, okay, how do we help Filipinos attain financial wellness, like save money? And um, in, in the beginning, we actually looked into building a robo-advisory. What that is, is it's a mechanism that helped people invest money easily without having to necessarily speak to a person. But we found that that wasn't addressing the core problem. The core problem is not that people can't invest or that they don't know how to invest. The core problem is that people just suck when it comes to savings. We found that a lot of people, not all, a lot of people, when they get paid, uh, the first thing they do is uh, they spend it on things that they don't actually need. Like Every payday, uh, restaurant sales goes up 47%. People complain about being broke all the time, but yet they have the latest phones. So it's not so much about the lack of money. It's about the behavior of people. And so we sought out to try to help people with their financial behavior by helping them automatically save money during payday. And then the lockdowns hit. And at the time, we were prototyping that idea with a few small businesses. And then we realized that these small businesses just really needed the mechanism to pay their employees. And so we decided to shelve the financial wellness side of things uh, aside for a while and focused on helping these small businesses pay their employees. And upon doing that, we learned that it wasn't just paying employees that was you know, a difficult thing that many companies had. And to kind of hone in on that, a lot of businesses right now, they have they still pay by cash. They send transfers to people one by one. They use their Gcash to run their, their business or their CEO's personal bank account. Uh, if they, even if they pay suppliers, they have people to go to, who goes to different banks to deposit cash in person. Um, add the fact that you know, we had COVID at the time, so that was not really easily done. So that was just a big problem. But we also discovered that that was just one problem of many different problems that small businesses had to deal with, whether it be collecting money from your customers to even opening up a corporate bank account, uh, which had all these steep requirements. And this is a problem that large companies don't usually have because they have the necessary capital. They have the necessary departments that can handle all of these things. But as a small business or an entrepreneur, that's the kind of that would be the underserved market for when it comes to running your business financial that's, that's operations. A, that's a real, I mean, for me, that's the reality, uh, especially for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that I play in, yes. Exactly. So, and one story is that my co-founder and I were chilling in one of my friend's offices. Uh, he has he has an office here, and at that time, the entire office was empty. And I asked, like, where are all your employees? And he was like, Oh, they're all at BPI. They're opening up bank accounts because the employees had to open up bank account in BPI because that's what the bank that the company banked with. And in order to disperse salaries to them, they'd have to set that up, right? So it's like, really? That's the thing. Because back in, in Canada, like I had my own personal bank account. And whenever I joined a company, I just given those details and they paid me directly over there. Why do I need to open up a new bank account here just to get paid? Right? So th- th- those are examples of things that we found that just really didn't make any sense. And so we decided to kind of solve that head on. Well, so uh, what, what I find amazing about this is that you found the company's sort of like 
purpose amidst this pandemic that, that really you know that it it revealed itself to you amidst this pandemic in many ways this problem has been around for decades but it was just a lot more obvious because suddenly that problem became something that people couldn't just hide under the rug right people just like there were companies that could not pay their employees at all and so it was just really difficult especially early on now it's better because the entire ecosystem has kind of like shifted people have gotten a lot more comfortable well, I wouldn't say comfortable but more used to the new status quo with the pandemic and the lockdowns and so on but there's still a lot more to be asked for a lot of things that small businesses don't typically have access to um and so we're we're chipping away at that and and before I get into this one before I get into um more about the product which I really want to find out no um I want to get a little bit more into the in the into the personal aspect of actually coming home because I know that you know when Filipinos come home like yourselves they go are you are you crazy I mean you you got a you got a great comfortable life over here and you're gonna you're gonna go back home take a chance on a business that you aren't quite sure what you're gonna do um, what what are you doing how, how how was your I mean how was the reaction of I guess your family when you were when you made your way back over here Um so my mother who I think might be listening right now early on in the first few years that I was here every time I'd call her she'd be like come home na <laughs> or when are you going to come home or or uh, when you visit can you stay for like a year or like you know <laughs> um so definitely I I mean a lot of people are leaving the Philippines for places like Canada states and other places because of the better life and that's fine like I actually do think that you know it's necessary I I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing in fact hopefully one day if not them their children will come back to the philippines so that they could give back right i think um for for uh myself this is really my home this is really where i want to to do good like canada is a great country i love it it's comfortable it's beautiful but it deserve like i would rather spend all of my effort helping this country than that country especially because of uh the potential this country has for growth and and when you did that what is that what kept you going especially i mean you were here for a couple of years you put up a flower shop for men uh you put up first that that what was going to be a financial robo advisory i mean not all of them worked out at the end i mean that's how the entrepreneur life is right we we iterate we pivot we have our many failures we we, we get up again What what kept you going during those times when when things didn't go well and you're saying okay I I do have my plan B which is to go back home but I you, you stayed was that your higher purpose like I could do something good for this country what what kept you what what was that main motivator for you uh, you actually did mention it a little bit where yeah you know if things don't work out there's always Canada I mean like I hate to say it but that's definitely a factor where you know you the worst I mean I, I have to admit that I am fortunate to have had this position right it's not something that anyone can can have access to and i admit that and i respect that and so it almost makes sense then to like it's almost irresponsible to not capitalize on that and to make the most of it so yeah having that safety net which is to go back to canada get another job definitely play the part in staying here and being able to just do whatever it takes to to succeed in something because of that but i would also say that having a move back here i got to rekindle a lot of the relationships i've had with my friends and family here i met i made a lot of really good friends uh met a lot of really smart people and really saw that there really is something about this country there really is something about the people here that i 
want to work with, I want to involve myself with, and I want to um, succeed with and see them succeed as well. So I think that's really um, what motivated me and what kept me going over here in the Philippines. Well, that's a very inspiring story to hear because, you know, as an as a entrepreneur mentor, I often tell people, many people think, you know, there are so many problems here in the Philippines. I want to live in my great but there are people who live abroad, uh, people like yourself, and even uh, foreigners, people who have no Philippine, who have no um, relation to the Philippines, who say, "Oh, there are so many problems in the Philippines. I want to go there and solve them because that's how I can make money." Right? Yeah, yeah. So for me, I can honestly say, and you know, many people say this, but I, I guess I would be one of them. I'm definitely not doing this for the money. Uh, I'm doing this because of the potential impact it can have, as cheesy as that sounds. And, you know, the, yeah, as you said, the, the fact that I don't need to be here, I can, you know, go back and work a comfy job, live a comfortable life, whatever. Uh, that stuff doesn't interest me. I think what really interests me is uh, just changing people for the better and improving the entire, like everyone around me and, and doing my part there. Well, that's a really great story. I, I really appreciate where you're coming from because now, you know, that, that I mean, if you, like Simon Sinek would say, that's your why, right? I mean, I mean, if you look at people like Roland Ross and, and the others, I mean, uh, Roland didn't come here, and the first product he created for Kumo wasn't the Kumo that it is right now. He had to iterate until he he got there. But he said, "I want to come back home and help the Philippines," because he had that sort of uh, that spirit in him. Hmm. Now, those guys back, are great. Yeah. yeah, they're great. I think I, yeah. I really think that they might be the next unicorn from coming from the Philippines. I think yeah. so too. Uh, their yeah. attraction is amazing, and the founders are exceptional. They're smart. They're nice people as well, uh, which is actually kind of hard to find in many cases, right? So that, that's right. That's right. Hello there, Chinkitan here, motivational speaker, wealth coach, best-selling author, and now host of Chink Positive Podcast, a podcast that aims to help you to become wealthy and debt-free by teaching you on how to save, budget, get out of debt, and invest. Powered by Podcast now, Network. Said, I want to go back to the, to the wherever so you get your podcast. See you there. Be during this time, right? You said okay. It's something like it's it's some it's a product for small businesses. That's a bit more how you move from okay, this is the idea until you actually have to implement the idea, then then grow it, I guess, exponentially during this crisis. Actually, would you be able to rephrase that question just so that or like give another angle so I could? Well, latch I, guess, onto it. I guess the angle is more like okay, what what's the next step after after you said Got okay, it. this is this what we're doing and we're going to pivot this way. What do we do now? All right. So I would say there was one day when we were just doing disbursements. I think uh, for a while we were helping a number of businesses pay their employees. And then when we realized that, okay, crap, there's, you know, it's it's not just this, like these businesses were experiencing other things. Like I'm sure some of you listeners may have, you know, who maybe run side hustles in the side and want to collect payments from your customers typically go, well, here, well, during the pandemic, I went through a phase personally where I bought a lot of cookies from Instagram sellers and it was great. But the process of paying them wasn't really uh, wasn't <laughs> that wasn't great. Yeah, uh, yeah. Typically, they would I'd message them on Instagram. They'd go, "Hey, uh, please deposit money in one of these bank accounts." So they'd have like a BDO, a BPI, a GCash, yeah. and so on. And so after that, you'd have to take a screenshot of it. You'd have to send it to them, and then they'd have to look at the screenshot, make sure that it exists in that bank account. And there's all sorts of issues when it comes to tracking, uh, like 
my co-founder had an experience of buying produce on Instagram. And before he made the payment, he got a knock on his door. They had the produce ready for him. <laughs> so he, you know, they gave him the, the produce before he even made the payment because they didn't track it properly. Right. And so that's another problem that uh, exists. Now, companies like uh, like uh, PayMongo, Senate, they're solving that. And that's great. Uh, and we, in fact, we're actually integrated with them. So we're working really well with them and that we're providing the interface for the because they have really good APIs, right? But there's still the other aspects of, uh, of you still need to get a bank account. You still need to funnel that money into a bank account. Uh, once you have that, how do you make use of it? How do you pay for your bills? How do you pay your employees? So there's a lot of different aspects and there are solutions that exist and they're great, but they're fragmented. They're mm -hmm. fragmented in the sense that you still have to sign up for them or register for them or pay for them and connect them yourself. So still, it's something that not any small business or many small business owners you know, wouldn't be able to do. And that's why we decided to expand it to not just do disbursements, but do end-to-end, -end, money in and money out. So today, if you sign up for NextPay, which you can do for free, uh, you could use us to create invoices, send these invoices to your customers, and you can track the invoices. So you can see has it been opened? When was the last time it was opened? Uh, so if someone goes, what invoice? You can go, uh, uh, I saw that you opened it last night. Uh, and then you could track when it's paid. And when it is finally paid, that money eventually makes its way into your NextPay account. And so from there, you can use that to pay your employees to any bank and any e-wallet of your choosing. And what's interesting, though, is that we could do it in batch. So many small business owners, what we've seen is when they pay their employees, they usually pay them one by one. If they're more tech savvy, they do it through online banking. But the less tech savvy is they actually send a runner to a bank to make a payment That's there right. or to different right. banks, right? And so with us, you do it all in one area, one place, uh, to any bank and any e-wallet. And it is also being used to pay a lot of suppliers because uh, that's also some a use case, an interesting use case. So we've had marketplaces who use us to disperse payments to their merchants or to their suppliers whom they sell on their behalf. So you could see that we're building a system where you have money in and money out. And our goal is to be able to handle uh, most, if not all, of the financial operations of any small business. And basically, you're sort of like the financial intermediary between the, the small business and uh, the bank, is that right? That's right, yeah. So we're not a bank ourselves uh, and we don't intend to be a bank. Uh, I believe that a lot of things that you would need to operate from a financial operation standpoint can actually be achieved without necessarily interfacing with a bank. In mm -hmm. fact, you could say that a bank traditionally fulfilled three purposes. The first being a store of value or money. The second one is a means of moving money around or transferring money. And third would be access to credit. Now, banks, as we know it, you know, really started in the 1400s. And it's evolved over the several hundreds of years to what it is today. But if you were to solve those three problems from scratch today, you probably wouldn't need to be a bank. Like there are solutions out there that offer business loans, like First Circle, Uploan, and so on, right? There are businesses right. out there that allow you to hold money like Gcash. There are businesses out there that allow you to transfer money, which I guess every bank now and every e-wallet e and remitted centers allow you to do, right? So these exist without having to have a bank. So all we're doing is we're just getting all of these into one place. And under the hood, we're actually integrated with these different players. Wow. So, and all these, they actually came across you, I guess, what I want to what I want to bring across to people is that you 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 found all these things because these were issues that were cropping up as you were doing this one. You were solving pain points on the way and creating products 
to solve these pain points along the way. Is that right, Don? That's correct. Yes, that's absolutely correct. Now, now having said that, now, and taking a look at your current product, where do you plan to be taking right now, uh, next pay? Now that you've got not that you've got the money to, to really grow and scale the business, uh, or I guess imp- really improve the product. What's next for you guys? I'm hesitant to divulge our roadmap, uh, but I can no talk worries. a little bit about the general ethos of what we're looking at. We're still trying to understand our customers a lot more, like seeing what their pain points are and building solutions that can um, help solve those problems, whether it be access to credit, um, being able to make payments more easily, being able to accept payments more easily. And remember how earlier on I mentioned that we had to shell the financial wellness side of things? Mm-hmm. We definitely intend to return to that. So not right now, we have thousands of employees who are getting paid by our system. And um, as in companies are using us to pay employees. But we think that we can help them too. We want to be able to offer uh, our financial like financial wellness services to them, whether it be automated savings towards an emergency fund, automatically, because whenever they get paid, we can do stuff with it, like automatically set aside money towards their bills, towards their rent, maybe even pay for their bills and rent on their behalf, give them access to personal loans, insurance products, investment products, and so on. And I think really that's kind of like what we are wanting to do to really just, again, back to the initial thing we wanted to do, which is help the Filipino on an individual basis. And starting with businesses, which would be their employers, is kind of our entry point to eventually reaching that. And so what's nice is that you're, you're just going to be increasing sort of like your suite of uh, financial products from just, you know, uh, what I would say is utilitarian in terms of least transferring the money. I mean, this, this is the most basic one to actually helping them invest the money, which is a more uh, value-added service. Not to say that your current service is not value-added. It's a good value-added for the company per se, or, but what you're doing now is value-added particularly for the end client. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, I, I would say that you know, the combination of things that we offer is in itself, the sum of the combination of things we offer is greater than um, like each individual thing. So if you think about it, in the past, when, when businesses started to look into technology for running their operations, there were really good tools that existed, very specific tools like Salesforce, uh, MailChimp, and so on. And then a lot of them started to pop up and it just became overwhelming. And that's why companies like Zapier came up and really mm-hmm. succeeded, which allowed you to connect all of these things together because they were fragmented. But now we're moving into the age of the super app. Apps like Grab, apps like like uh, Gojek, uh, Gcash. These are super apps where it's one app and you can do many things in it, right? So that's, I think, the third shift. And that's essentially what we're kind of uh, looking into, but really focused on small businesses. I, I found more opportunities looking into the small businesses here because if you think about when you want to aggregate them, MSMEs in the Philippines, micro, small, and medium enterprises comprise 99.6% of business uh, here in the Philippines. I would even say that that's for, just for registered businesses. So that's there right, are about right. a million registered MSMEs in the country. But if you were to look at the unregistered businesses, so these are people who are in the informal sector who might have side hustles, this number goes up to 16 million. So it's a huge amount. And, you know, what's interesting, too, about the Filipino is that the Filipinos is that we're very entrepreneurial. There was a, an article that came out a couple of years back that showed the, the top 10 countries who are most entrepreneurial. And I think Zimbabwe is number one. I think we were like number seven. But it honestly wasn't for a good reason either. It's because people generally need to supplement their main income with another source. And so that's why they resort to entrepreneurial activities. But that's also, you know, the reason why we have a tremendous amount of entrepreneurs here. And having said that, you've had a chance to step back and 
like you you actually discovered your product in the midst of this pandemic and you're now working with with smaller companies you're working as a financial intermediary uh, you're seeing new products which you can create what do you see are the emerging business opportunities in i guess in the financial space but all, you also see other opportunities on on a larger scale uh you know if if you have the time and effort what do you think that people should look into right now So for me personally I really really believe in the education space. Uh I think I think um there are millions of potential Albert Einsteins who are stuck in jobs that have them, you know, flipping burgers uh so to speak, right? And it is so the brain is the most complex thing in the known universe. It's more complex than than how a star works in fact relative to the brain a star is quite simple and this here is a supercomputer that we're barely utilizing and only a few people in the world are really maximizing the capacity to think and so my belief is that if you're able to maximize the capacity of um of the brain for as many people as possible that will raise the tide for everybody because now people are all you know contributing um to the society to this collective right so that's kind of at least for me my 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 thinking and if so if i were to do a new company it would probably be in that space wow and also how about in the in the in the financial space whether it's financial inclusion or fintech uh they they often say that the biggest the next big thing for the philippines if we were to have a unicorn would actually be in fintech because there's precisely because that as, as you are seeing you know there's a lot of uh, misconnections or disaggregation or things that just don't make sense uh, which can be built up um, what yeah. do you think are the other opportunities that can still be improved upon on, on in the fin- financial inclusion space or fintech space sure so you know um the philippines two thirds of the country remain unbanked uh, which is a huge amount and in many ways it has a lot to do with the reach of banks uh, and being an archipelago it's a lot more difficult another factor would also be internet connectivity um where if you go out to rural areas some this internet connectivity is bad but the smartphone penetration in the philippines is huge and it's growing you know we're known as the selfie capital of the world and so there's a huge opportunity in finding ways to convert these people who are using cashless to digital and if you can somehow solve that we're also trying our best to work towards that um there's a huge opportunity again that's two thirds of the country right so some and if you're to look at you know what's happening wh- whether it be the introduction of dito telecommunications uh, or even like in the international scene you have like con- uh, companies like spacex that can mm-hmm. one day p- provide internet throughout the philippines no matter where you are uh, i think it's inevitable that internet coverage and the ability to communicate and connect everybody together it's inevitable and so that's something to consider when figuring out what business idea to work on especially in the realm of fintech like you said you went through a lot of stress uh during this time i think you probably made you might have grown a couple of years uh, <laughs> uh you must have you must have aged a couple of years rather uh amidst the pandemic and, and you know and how you had to adjust and, and from all the learning that you did uh there are many entrepreneurs right now there they I mean they they actually ask me what are your you know what are the secrets that you have in your head what are the things that i should know or you know what's going to keep me going don uh what's your advice to those people who, who are in your shoes who are in your shoes just a few months ago who who are also looking you know what, what do i do now i'm kind of stuck over here with my idea or i don't have enough money to run things or i don't know or you know i don't know i don't know what's next for me what would be your advice for them 
Have a really, really, really good mentor. Don't hesitate to ask people for help. Meditate, I think, would be super, super key for being able to not get in over your head, especially when it comes to stressful moments. And have a really, really good co-founder who can put up with your bullshit. <laughs> and you can put up with theirs too. So, so that's, I think, what I would say. Thanks so much. Is Aldrich there with you in the room right now? Or is he also listening from, from outside? Uh, he, he, he may be listening right now. <laughs> here, I love this. Aldrich is commenting here right now. Aldrich Tan, learn from and give back to the community. Hindi lang yan. Sabi ni Aldrich pa. Next comment of Aldrich. Oh, with a heart. Yeah. <laughs> I love the love that you guys are sharing over here. Again, thanks yeah. so much. Thanks so much, thanks, Aldrich, RJ. for listening in. Yeah. Oh. And before everything else, for the small companies who actually do want to use uh, NextPay or find, you know, how, how, can, how can NextPay help me out? Uh, with my company, where can they go? Sure. Um, well, the generic answer is go to nextpay.ph. But the more personalized answer is email me, don at nextpay.ph. Uh, okay. So if you do that, we'll us, set you Let's up. put it out right now. Uh, if, if you're listening here right now, Nathan, that's don uh, at uh, nextpay.ph. That's correct. Today, again, don at nextpay.ph. Again, guys. Uh, thanks so much for listening in here on the RJ Ledesma podcast. I hope you guys learned uh, a lot of great stuff. I, I definitely learned a lot. Actually, the, the big, if there's anything I took away from your talk here right now was, was you know product fit. And I think that's the most important thing for me. I love that. I want to be chasing boulders. I think that's really what we, that's, that's our objective in life is start uh, chasing boulders in our own businesses. Now, if you guys are enjoying this podcast and you're learning a lot from it, please subscribe and invite more friends to listen to the RJ Ledesma podcast again. Thank you so much, Don. Um, Thanks, RJ. Pansacola of uh, CEO of NextPay. We'll see you again in the next webisode or rather next podcast of the RJ Ledesma podcast. Guys, thanks so much. Enjoy the Bye, rest everybody. of your evening. The views and opinions expressed by the podcast creators, hosts, and guests do not necessarily reflect the official policy and position of Podcast Network Asia. Any content provided by the people on the podcast are of their own opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything.